Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, you sent me an article from The New Yorker about this idea called effective altruism. And here's the best paragraph I read. The movement known as EA to its practitioners, who themselves are known as EAs, take as its premise that people ought to do good in the most clear-sighted, ambitious, and unsentimental way possible. Among other back-of-the-envelope estimates, EAs believe that a life in the developing world can be saved for about $4,000. Effective altruists have lashed themselves to the mast of a certain kind of logical rigor, refusing to look away when it leads them to counterintuitive, bewildering, or even seemingly repugnant conclusions. For a time, the movement recommended that inspirited young people should, rather than work for charities, get jobs in finance and donate their income. More recently, EAs have turned to fretting about existential risks that might curtail humanity's future, full stop. And Don, this article just goes on to talk about this unique set of people that seem to be very dedicated towards giving away a lot of their money, but also towards giving it away to the projects that they think are the most helpful in the world. What did you think about the article? I think it's unrelenting focus on the marginal benefit of helping one person versus the marginal cost of doing so is very refreshing. Instead of uh, heartwarming stories about this person helped or that person helped or this soup kitchen or that soup kitchen or pictures of puppies, instead we see you can save a life for $4,000. You can cure blindness. What what do you remember what it was from the article? I want to say it was like 60 bucks. You can cure somebody from being blind. They gave out a number. They said, well, you could spend $40,000 on a leader dog, getting it trained and, and getting it to somebody, or you could spend the same amount and maybe save anywhere from 400 to 4,000 people in a developing nation who have blindness and stuff like that. Yeah. So the math works out, so, you know, it's a hundred bucks to a thousand bucks to save people from uh, blindness, but it's, it's incredible. And I, I live in the same town where leader dogs are trained. There's a big enterprise. We feel very good about that here in Rochester. We have leader dogs for blind, but all the resources and money going into making these leader dogs, although they are really neat and really helpful and change people's lives, is misspent, isn't it? I don't know. And that's the part that is so interesting about these people is once again, we're using data to try to support some conclusions that people are making. And what's interesting is, is these people are very driven by how can we do the most help for the most people with the money that we have? And therefore, they're not afraid to like get in people's faces and just say, nope, we're here to help solve glaucoma in developing nations. You're wasting your money by having a leader dog. There's even an interesting quote in there where they're like, you can go and work at that soup kitchen if you want. But why don't you just check that as self-interest for you because you're really wasting your time and not doing the most good. But at the same time, it's sort of this very blatant all or nothing kind of attitude that I think is really jarring when you think, you know, we grow up in society trying to find lots of ways to help people. We have lots of different kinds of charities and lots of different things that people focus on to try to help people or to try to, you know, bring a spark in somebody's day. And these guys just kind of say, Give it all to this organization so that you can buy bed nets in a developing nation to solve malaria. You're going to do the most good. Everything else is just a waste of money. It's hard to kind of sit with that, I think. 
Yeah, the absolute nature of it is very powerful and very, I'd imagine, upsetting, especially to people that dedicate their lives or portions of their lives to helping people through whatever. My parents volunteer at a soup kitchen all the time. I don't know if they're going to quit and get a job at Starbucks and then donate that money. I mean, that's what they should do in theory based upon the data. But it does make sense to me. I mean, I am often frustrated by these pop-up charities that just show up in your uh, when you check out at a store or something like that. Because we, you and I know, we've read enough that charities are not all alike. Many of the charities spend 10% of the money they take in on actually helping people. And they spend 90% on administrative costs. And so when I check out at PetSmart and they say, do you want to donate $5 to whatever Help the Puppies Fund? I'm like, well, what? I don't know anything about Help the Puppies Fund. I, do I feel like a terrible person if I say, no, I only think you're really going to give a nickel to them? Well, according to these guys, you should look at that girl at PetSmart in the eye and say, this is a waste of money. We can save more lives if we do this, right? And part of it is the sort of in-your-face philosophy that a lot of these people are living where they're going to tell you when you're wasting your money, which I think, you know, one of the things in our society is all charities are good, right? Isn't that the first thing we think? Even though what you're saying is a lot of charities are just sort of organizations that take money just to keep going. And necessarily, we've never really thought much about is the charity actually doing productive good and stuff like that. And these guys really seem to have tried to drive into the numbers to say, yes, this is the best way to use your money. Yeah, absolutely. And also it makes us reconcile with how we spend our money. My two children are both really into running right now. And we bought them each $300 running watches where they can track their their GPS and post their runs and their times, their heart rates to the internet, to a site called Strava and compare themselves with other people. $300 for each child. I'm totally happy with it because they love it and it's an activity they're excited about and it's very healthy and good. How many kids could I save for blindness, Zach? Because I could have saved six kids. Six kids have no sight because my children have two running watches. That's true. It's tough to reconcile. Therefore, should you, you're right, lose sleep over that guilt. Should you, uh, as you're putting that watch on your kid's wrist for the first time, just say, you know, I'm giving you this, but that's six lives that we're, we're letting go, right? And how do you kind of justify all of that? What's interesting is a lot of these people are just major believers in whatever job you have, live on the least amount of money, and then just basically dedicate your life to donating the rest away. It sounds like there are some charities that they've got on their website that are listed that are the most effective charities out there. And I guess it's just a whole lifestyle of just basically you're living to give, which I do think there seems to be a lot of merit in the idea of just sort of living your life to help others, right? Absolutely, there's merit to it. But it also makes us second guess all the selfish decisions we make day to day, because every decision we make nearly is selfish. I'm getting a new car this week because my old car is falling apart, doesn't have air conditioning. But if I didn't, I could have saved five lives, Zach. Should I get the new car? Maybe I should just bike to work. It'd be cold and miserable and dirty, but then I could probably save a life of every two months. I mean, it is, it makes you rethink everything you're doing and makes everything you're doing seem quite selfish in the lifestyle in which we both lead. No, that's a good point. I mean, you know, a lot of people, maybe they do go to PetSmart and they do give that $1 to the dog charity and they feel like they did enough for the day, right? 
And all of these people that are EAs believe that's not even close to doing enough and that you need to kind of dedicate your whole life to doing enough. And I think that's just sort of an interesting idea of basically I work to to help others and, and maybe that's a whole different uh, mindset that they have. Maybe they all sleep really well at night knowing that they're <laughs> They're giving everything instead of just, you know, the dollar here or you're right, spending time at a soup kitchen on a Saturday all life long now they're they're trying to help others. Well, you and I can pat ourselves on the back and say that we're teachers and we're helping all day and that's why we should feel good about ourselves, right? You know, I've used that line with my wife every once in a while. I teach kids. I do enough, right? At the same time, I guess technically I should be teaching kids and then donating 80% of my salary on a regular basis to some of these charities and stuff like that, which I think maybe really would add a whole different kind of uh, way to live and stuff like that. And I think there's something to be said for the idea of, I don't know, rejecting materialism, getting down to a most basic level of existence, and then trying to help others. I mean, th those seem like really solid goals and ideas. No, you fell from my trap. You didn't get into teaching just to purely help kids. Neither did I. We got in because we thought we'd enjoy it and it'd be an enjoyable career. And we didn't get into it solely to help kids. It's not like we had incredible abilities and we're headed to med school, but then stopped to come back and teach just because we want to save children. We were doing it because we thought it'd be fun and interesting and engaging. And for the most part, it has been, right? You're right. I mean, also, so we, we can't feel good about it then, right? <laughs> Isn't that what an effective <laughs> altruist would say? Like, no, no, not only are you, you probably could have made more money in another field, which would be better. And now you should be giving all your money away then anyway. Yeah, I, I, these people do seem to be kind of brooding the whole time in the article. Yes. Like nobody seems to be happy. And you're right. I guess if you're smiling at work, then you're not doing it right. Yeah. You're not you helping be... enough people. <laughs> yes. You could have done some soulless job and made more money. You and I could be going door to door selling uh, alarm systems and probably make twice, three times as much money. And we could then give it all away. That would be the better thing. Well, yeah. I mean, th that's one of the more interesting parts about this is, okay, so, you know, you, you think about your kids and, hey, I want my kids to go out and help the world, make it a better place, right? So maybe they should go be a teacher like you and I, or my wife has her master's in social work, right? And tries to help people. And yet the EAs believe, why are you wasting your time? All of you guys should go and pursue finance because that's where you're going to make the most money. And then you can just give it away. And there's sort of an odd... I don't know, like uh, free market capitalism sort of bent to this idea of go where all the money is, that's where you want to make it, and then just plan to give it away. That's the best way to help. Don't think about trying to run a nonprofit or, you know, getting in front of kids and trying to make them smile. Go make cash and then give it away. And that's sort of a message you don't often hear. Absolutely not. And I tell you who's got to be most terrified about this message, and that's the churches. Because the, there's nothing here saying give money to the church. The church is not a good place to put your money. They're not helping people at the rate of give directly. Instead, you should be giving your money directly to poor people in developing nations and letting them use it as they say fit to make their best choices. Don't give it to the Catholic Church. Don't give it to your temple, your Jewish temple. You need to give it to poor people directly. Well, that's what's so interesting about this is 
a lot of churches, religions ask people to tithe and, and give regularly to support the church, support the beliefs. These people don't seem to be too religious. However, they even describe it in the article as there's sort of being almost a religious bent to how these people now view the world and how to best help the world. And I think that that's sort of interesting when you can get a large collection of people that all want to kind of start following and believing and thinking the same way. But at the same time, I think what's interesting is there's very little area that's open for debate. It's it's kind of this dictatorial, nope, this is how you should spend your money to do the most good. Absolutely. And there is a right and a wrong, and it's clearly defined. And uh, it's defined by a Scottish guy, William McCaskill, I believe, right? Yes. And I, I guess, though, one of the things is, is that in some ways, if somebody could prove without a shadow of a doubt, this is the best charity or this is the way to help the most people, then I think I could buy into it. And I guess I could just then laugh at everybody else, right? You and I could go get in the face of some big brother or big sister and just tell them, hey, you're wasting your time. You should be working more hours and then donating your money or something like that, right? There's sort of a, a gotcha kind of feeling to this charity idea. But I think the other thing that's sort of interesting is how much it's changed. And so it used to be all about the idea of bed nets, and this is how we're going to do the most good is to kind of fight malaria. But slowly, by the time the article ends, there's sort of this discussion of, well, we used to think that the best money spent is money in the developing world, because that's where we can save the most lives. But now some people are starting to argue, actually, we should just spend all of our money in the developed world because then we can help people make more money in, in jobs that they have access to so they can give more money away in the future. And so the idea that we're flip-flopping where we should even be giving money, I think, is interesting and also just makes me raise the question of we have no idea actually how to go about helping people. <laughs> I, yeah, the uh, well, we're going to trade a bird in the hand for two in the bush and we're going to say, let's help this person make more money so then they can give away that money, assuming, of course, they will give away the money because that's what really wealthy people do. Right. Billionaires. They're not into yachts or anything. Oh, wait, didn't <laughs> we cover this? Uh, yeah, we don't really know that well about how to help people. But the implicit thing in this whole uh, argument is that all lives are created equal. And so if it's cheaper to help somebody in a developing world, you got to help them at the expense of no longer helping somebody in the developed world who needs to go to a soup kitchen. And it makes sense in that to subsidize somebody's housing so they wouldn't be homeless in San Francisco would probably be near 4000 a month. Well, we can save a child of uh, somebody's life every month in the developing world for $4,000. Then we should help the people as long as we assume that all lives are created equal and therefore we help the people that are easiest to help. And we're all on board with this, right? Uh, that, that's the part I, I, I left after reading the article and just couldn't decide where I, I fell on any of this. I mean, in some ways you could now justify why you spent $600 on running watches for your sons because you say, well, they're in the upper 1% of the population in terms of parent income level. They have a high likelihood of going to college. And these running watches are going to keep their bodies and minds strong so that someday they'll go into a high paying job and then they're going to give their money away, right? Now you can justify not helping anybody. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. You can justify nearly anything. But can you justify it to the homeless guy in San Francisco? We're taking the money we could have used to help you, and we're going to give it to somebody in Nigeria. Right. And I think that that's a that's a hard one because, yes, it might cost $40,000 to develop a leader dog. But I'm going to assume that the person that gets that dog, their life is going to be forever changed in the most positive way uh, possible. Maybe they'll have uh, independence now. They can live with much more autonomy. It's hard to, I guess, measure how much utility that person feels. But as you're saying, like, how do you measure that against uh, hundreds or thousands of, of people that can now see because they don't have glaucoma? It's a tough one. I think the optics likes the, uh, well, the optics are competing. I mean, we remember TV commercials years ago with Suzanne Summers, and she'd show us uh, children in Africa that had lots of flies on their eyes and they're really struggling and we could help them for a small amount. Right. At the same time, the optics of a leader dog was quite is quite desirable as well. You, people love dogs. They love do helping people. Dogs helping people is just tremendous to look at and very, very cool. And we've seen they, that's a good feel good story they put on the evening news about dogs that detect seizures or dogs that help people with uh, disabilities. It's a tough one. It's not one that I want to think about day to day, but apparently that's the life of the effective altruist is the day to day constant pondering of how to do the greatest good. Well, but that's what's so interesting is, is I don't know if you're allowed to ponder much uh, they, as they go through the article. And it's a very long article. The sort of leader of this movement talks about going to conferences and people just coming up to them and saying, OK, I'm ready to give all my money away. Who, who should I give it to? And the guy's always like, well, you know, let, let's let's talk about this for a minute here. Or, or, you know, I basically just you can't really hurt too much. And yet everybody seems to want to be given an answer in all of this is this is the best way to help. Yet it seems like it's constantly changing, even among this group. As I said, it used to be about going to developed nations. Now there's some people that argue, give all the money to the rich nations because that's how you're going to get more money. What's even crazier is that a lot of people now in this group are starting to argue, you know what, let's not even spend any money on trying to help anybody today. And instead, let's spend the money on trying to solve future problems like AI destruction of the world or future nuclear war. And this is where it's just getting downright nutty. Agreed. I That all seems fairly specious. It seems pretty concrete as to the cost of curing blindness or whatever. And I thought that was like, okay, I, I buy into this. This makes sense. I should, this is a better place to give my money. However, the ideas of uh, AI is going to take over the world and we got to stop AI and they're funding this. I'm like, you're losing me pretty quick here. I, I think we can just unplug it. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I haven't watched Terminator enough times, but I, <laughs> I, I, I believe you can just unplug it. Well, I've always been a believer that if people want to help, then give all your money away now and don't set up some foundation so that 100 years from now, the foundation can keep kind of like slowly withdrawing your money down and keep trying to solve problems like people today should solve today's problems and let the future kind of solve its own issues. And yet it seems like more and more people in this group are all about like, we've got to think about the next diseases that are going to come and how can we fight those? And really it's about keeping humanity going. There's this crazy quote where basically someone said, 
If humanity successfully colonized the planets within its light core and plausibly rechargeable regions of the universe and harnessed the computational power of the stars to run servers upon which the lives of digital consciousness might be staged, this could result in the efflorescence of approximately 10 to the power of 58 beings. And basically, like people are now starting to think, well, hey, we got to save lots of people on different planets, Don. Apparently, we now care about the people living on a future Titan colony out of Saturn. And yet, like, I don't know, I still now want to just say maybe the soup kitchen is the best way to go. <laughs> Well, you'll see the soup kitchen for sure. I'm not sure the 10 to the 58 power of people or consciousness or their brains living on through computers is going to be a great thing. I, sounds awful to me. I think I'll be <laughs> ready to go by the time I wrap this thing up here on this planet in this life. But it's uh, is specious, the right word. It's hard to understand. It's just it doesn't make sense. It's so big. It's so grand. You can almost not put a finger on it. I'm sure the math checks out that if we put all this money into, I guess you're right, conscious saving devices and rocket ships to go start colonies to keep to make sure that you know humanity has a backup plan. All of that, I guess you could say was worth it, but it's not worth it to you or I. And again, it doesn't help the blind person who needs a dog. Therefore, like should we put that much weight in the future? I, I have to assume, assume our first Paleolithic ancestors did not care about you and I surviving, Don. They literally were trying to survive another day and pass it on to the next generation, meaning their direct kids. And after that, I think they said, hey, it's our kids' uh, problem to figure out the next generation after that. We did our job. If that, I'd imagine they're just trying to survive day by day, have some kids, maybe help them farm or hunt and gather better and get them through adulthood. I think people are even more selfish than that. I don't think we're people are really thinking about that big of a picture at all. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I care a lot about my kids. I think a lot about their future and, and the skills that they need to develop or what they may or may not go into when they're, you know, older. And then I started to wonder, like, do I care about my grandkids right now? Like, I don't know them. <laughs> they don't exist. They might never exist, to be honest. And therefore, it was really hard to muster a ton of emotion for them. And then I was trying to go down to, like, what about my great-grandkids? And I was then thinking a lot about how, like, my dad's been really into Ancestry.com lately. And he's been really researching like the past generations and he's been finding names of people that I'm related to that lived like in the 1800s, the 1700s. I got to assume those people did not care about me at all. And therefore, why would you put any money into this kind of stuff? Now, I know that you might say, well, what about global warming? Like, don't you care about the, the planet in the future? And I guess like, yes, I think I do. But at the same time, it's really hard to like, put forth any effort towards like wanting to do much for it, if that makes sense. Yes. Well, I find the day-to-day -day demanding enough in my household. Maybe I'm not as smart as you. I'm not thinking about my kid's future that much. I'm trying to make the best decision today. And the future is so unpredictable. Nobody, it's hard to foresee things that may or may not happen depending on so many things. Um, and so I, uh, I just think about today, what's the best thing today, this week for our kids, this school year, maybe I'm not getting beyond that. 
and whether or not the in the long run i try to make the best decisions but i'm not tossing and turning at night thinking about what's going to happen in three generations or even two generations there'll be plenty of time to worry about that when we get older and our kids are gone i'm just trying to get through this week well, there is, is could this effective altruist look at you and say, well, Don, that's the problem. You're just super selfish. You're too focused on today. And I'm here thinking about 500 years from now and when we've colonized the planets and I'm working on that. You and your smallness and your running watches can't get much bigger than that. Does that make you a bad person then? Probably. I am very selfish. <laughs> I didn't have kids to help the world. I didn't have kids for that reason. I had kids because I thought it'd be a fun experience. I think my wife felt similar, but I'd have to ask her. I, I thought it would be neat. I wanted to experience being a parent. It's been so much fun. Every It's been great. And watching them do things is just so exciting. Even if it's a sport I don't like, like baseball. I watched lots of baseball games and loved every minute of it when my kids are playing. Then we dropped baseball. I haven't watched a baseball game since because I don't care about baseball. I just enjoy doing stuff with my kids. It's very selfish. I help around the house because I want to be to move smoothly and to my wife to be happy with me. And that's great. Those are all selfish things. Those aren't things I'm not selflessly helping anybody. And so, yeah, probably I'm a selfish guy. I'm, uh, I just bought an internal combustion car. Could have bought an electric car, but it's more expensive. And the marginal cost me prohibit us from doing other cool stuff, which is not helping people with blindness. It's just like ski trips and so forth. I'm the enemy here, Zach. I read this article. I said like, wow, there's a big target symbol on my chest. I don't have the resources to buy a yacht, but I'm not helping just as much as the yacht buyer isn't helping. Can we put on your tombstone, Don McLaughlin? He doesn't care about you. <laughs> you know, in a way, it, you could. I, I, like I said before, I didn't teach to help kids. I teach because it's fun and I enjoy it. It's better than any other career I could think of, and still is. And I think I'm going to keep doing it for a while. But I don't go into class and say like, "Let's make these kids, you know, change their lives." I go, "Let's roll through these things I need to teach and have some fun doing it." Well, it seems like that goes back to then the idea of, look, if you want to go to a soup kitchen, you can, but you better just check the box of self-interest. And yet a part of me kind of goes with, isn't it self-interest that ultimately kind of makes things work, right? As you're saying, like, I'm selfish. I, I, I had kids because I wanted to have kids or I do my job as a teacher because I enjoy it. And hey, if, if some good along the way happens because of your activities, awesome. But I think it also feels tangential. You feel involved with it. You feel like you're making a difference. And I guess just the effective altruist just says, that's great if you feel good, but there's just a lot of waste. It's a lot of waste in money, a lot of waste in time and effort. But I can't assume that it's like a waste for those people in that soup kitchen on that day, right? Again, the, the person that got the, the leader dog, like it's not a waste for them. I guess it's just a waste for everybody else. Well, I don't think it's a waste because the people volunteering feel good about themselves. They can pat themselves on the back and go out that afternoon and evening and say, like, I'm a good person. I feel good about this. And there's something to be said for that. People feel good for various reasons. And doing things that makes them feel good is something they should do, especially if it doesn't hurt anybody. I mean, I, you could also feel good for, like, cutting off a guy in traffic and hammering to the grocery store faster than everybody else. That's not good, generally good. But if you help with the soup kitchen, you feel good about yourself. That's great. 
good for everybody. And the guy or girl or person at the soup kitchen got some food, good for them. So it's a win-win. It's just not the effective altruist to say there's a bigger win, and that would be doing something you hate for more money to give to somebody that more desperately needs something. I think that's the part I don't like, is that at the end of the day, the effective altruists have kind of taken the corner of they get to still dunk on everybody's good deeds. Oh, yeah. Like, that's great, Don. Good work at the soup kitchen. You still wasted your time because you should have done this. And I I don't know. I, I guess I, I don't I have a hard time with that. And I and at the same time, like, clearly it's a group that's found a way to sort of judge everybody and come up with all the answers. And yet I would just push back and say, have you guys really found the answers when you've jumped from, you know, doing bed nets and trying to help blindness in developed countries to now you should just give your money to, you know, people that are already well off, or now we're just going to go save the future. I don't know. It just seems like a, a, a weird movement that itself can't kind of, kind of figure out what it wants to be. Yes, they are the ultimate naysayer. They can tell you you're wrong at any time and have a concrete argument as to why you're wrong. And that's not a fun person to be around. I had a friend who's uh, not a nice person. Whenever somebody was congratulating themselves for doing something that was not that impressive, he'd say, yeah, there's about a billion people in China that don't care. And it just deflated people around like, ugh. <laughs> I guess this doesn't matter at all. And that's what he wanted because he was not a nice person. But it's the same sort of thing from the effective altruists. Like, oh, great. You you delivered turkeys on to homeless people or to poor people before Thanksgiving. We've done that a bunch of times. And we feel good about ourselves. But the effective altruists would be like, eh, it's, it's a waste of time. But the real reason I did it, because I'm selfish, is to show my kids what it's like for, to be poor in America. And there are poor people just a few miles from our house. Say, so look, they don't have any toys. They got one cupboard and one drawer. They can barely get by. It's cold in there. It's And they're like, yeah, it looks rough. I guess my thing is, is does this mean if you can go become the CEO of a coal mining company and make <laughs> a lot of money, you should take that job then? Absolutely. Because although climate change is going to kill people in the long run, your individual contribution is probably not that great. And you could give a lot of money to help people today. Because for me, the today is more important. But it seems like the effective altruists are sliding on that. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Elon Musk gets mentioned in this. And there are other a lot, there are other Silicon Valley billionaires that all seem to subscribe to this way of giving money. And I think that's why the EAs are now starting to get a lot of publicity is there's billions of dollars behind whatever projects they want to fund and stuff like that. And I think that that's why now you have to kind of pay attention to it. It kind of reminds me of when Bill Gates became interested in education, right? And all of a sudden now you've got billionaires that want to start their own schools or want to take down public education or they want to chip away at some mandate and the people with money get a seat at the table, even if they're still maybe misinformed or still have no idea exactly how the whole thing works. And it just seems like charity now is going to maybe have some crowding with these people for good or for bad. Oh, yeah. Billionaires have a lot of money and they have voice. Now that they've given a voice, they can make a decision as to where it should go. And maybe an effective altruist would be a helpful person to give uh give advice 
Elon Musk was taking his advice from some guy he ran into at a tour or something, and the effective altruists are trying to court him. I mean, maybe that's a better use of it. Bill Gates, in like 1999, Bill Gates did this thing where he was going to pay people to take a computer course that were teachers. And I got paid, I think, $1,000 to take this course where I learned next to nothing. But he had the money, so I, I took the course, and I got paid, and I spent that money, Zach. I didn't spend it by helping blind people either. I think I spent it on rent. Well, that's it. Is It just shows kind of how narrow-minded it is. Bill Gates thinks teachers need to know how to use a computer. He's going to give you an incentive, so Don does it. But is Don's computer skills uh, helping the world? Maybe, maybe not. At the same time, you know, it, the, Bill probably slept pretty good for a week knowing that he had um, helped all these little poor teachers uh, learn how to use a keyboard. Yeah, probably. And harassed some women and, you know, did some other stuff, you know, drove too fast. No, I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. It's it's a fascinating article, again, just in how many different layers these people are going. But given the amount of money, I, I got to assume we're going to see more and more uh, EAs showing up and and, and talk, telling the world how they should be helping. Do you think ultimately we're a better place for having this group? Like th these are actually solid concrete ideas that are worth having uh, thrown around and debated and stuff like that. Absolutely. I remember you did years ago, you did a project in a class you're teaching where you had to pick a charity and kids had to evaluate many charities and found that a lot of them were not giving very much money at all to people. I think the veterans charities are among the worst and that they give a small percentage of the money they take in to the actual people that need the assistance. And so at least the focus is in the right place here. No, I would agree on that. Is if anything, I think EAs can at least get people to ask more questions and think more about how they can do good. I, I, I think, um, and do the most good. And if and if they're getting people to reflect upon that and debate that, I think that alone is probably uh, a good thing. But I also think that if they became the dominant only way of thinking about helping people, I don't know if that's a good thing. Because again, there are a lot of charities and organizations out there that rely on people to donate their time, uh, to get out there and feel like they're doing good. And for all of that just to kind of disappear, that doesn't seem like a good thing either. No, it's not. But it's also hard to quantify. The big thing about EAs is how do we quantify this good? And one of the things I've thought a lot about is that if you go, your kids go to a school and my kids did the same. I think yours would probably do the same. An elementary school where there is a fairly high income and highly educated massive parents. Then often you have mostly moms that are highly educated volunteering at that school to help with reading groups, to help with all sorts of stuff. And none of that is quantified, but I think it has tremendous impact on the children that go there. And part of the reason why those schools are likely to have the best performances that's not at all quantified. And the EA person would probably say, those moms are really smart and are really experienced. They should go back into being an insurance executive or marketing executive and make more money and give it away. But yet they are still doing good. It's just good that's more aligned with their community. And so those things are not quantified, but yet important. You're right. I never thought about it like that. But there are a lot of people that probably work in professions that are maybe not totally aligned with their full potential, if you know what I'm saying. And 
you're right about um, maybe that mismatch does bring value in other places or comes out in other ways that we, that are really hard to calculate. Absolutely. I mean, wouldn't that be awful if they told you to go and do the thing that you could do best? Like I, 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 maybe I'm an overconfident person, but I think I could probably do some things pretty good that would make me a lot more money, but I think I'd be miserable doing it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. I guess your own selfishness looking for happiness along the way is important. Uh, and therefore, Don, I need you to take on a 30-year career in high finance because that's where you can make the most money and do the most good. And maybe you look at me and you say, I'm going to be miserable for my entire life. And then I say back to you, but Don, you'll be helping a lot of people. Absolutely. Or for me, I don't think I'm that smart for high finance, but you could probably sell people something at some high level and do that kind of thing and make a ton of money and hate yourself every day as you're selling this whatever. Like, yeah. There, there was some great quote in here where they talked about, um, hey, yeah, you could go be a doctor in uh, a developing nation. Maybe you can save 100 or 200 people's lives. But really, you should just go into finance instead because you can help more people that way. And I thought that was such a slap in the face. Oh, yeah. Those doctors that are uh, performing operations on the, out of their own free time, of which they have little, to correct fistula or correct uh, blindness. And they do this all you know, for a month, a year. And that, I mean, you'd be better off working for a hedge fund and helping them pick prescription drugs and then using that extra money to pay for... Uh, yeah, I, I think that this may be the worst person to run into at a party, to, to, to sit down with an effective altruist and just have them tell you how you're wrong and everything. This would be like the person I'd least want to talk to at a get together. The big winner from this article, when you really think about it, is big finance, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. seems to be the answer to everything in life. Just go work for big finance, give all your money away. You're going to do the best, the most good. And these big finance people can also say, well, I'm going to give it away. Yes. Just not yet because I'm leveraging it. I can make more money by keeping this in my uh, portfolio. And then in the long run, then I'll give it all away when I'm 80 or whatever. Therefore, could we be skeptical and just say this whole thing is a scam just to protect people that work in big finance? Yeah. Well, it's a recruiting group to like try and get these big finance people on board and uh, on the contingency that when they do die, they will give all this money away and uh, we'll just court them until that very moment. And then hopefully they won't give it all to their uh, whoever they're having an affair with or whatever. Well, we know they don't care about their great grandkids, but they do care about their kids. Right. So uh, at some point, the money's got to get uh, dissolved out there. I guess just we don't know when. Maybe they do like their great-grandkids. Maybe they name the great-grandkids executors of their state and run their own nonprofit and get paid a hundred grand a year to go to three meetings. And uh, that's how they protect <laughs> them and their uh, offspring. They're like the uh, Rockefellers, money forever. Uh, I, I, I don't know. If you had to be afraid of any of these long-term issues, disease, um, artificial intelligence, destroying the world, global warming, uh, nuclear war, which one might keep you up the most at night? None of the above will keep me up at night, but I think climate change is the one that's more going to cause problems in the nearest future and most certainly going to cause problems. Nuclear war hasn't happened, even though we've had nuclear weapons for quite some time. 
but uh, it's just always looming out there. This horrible pandemic we lived through, yes, a lot of people die, but now we're basically just moving on. We're like, oh, I guess there is COVID. Whatever. It's just going to be around. I mean, there's no protocols now in most places. Some people wear masks, but you know, I, I just don't live in fear of that. And the AI thing, I think, is overthought. Like, it, I think it may destroy our lifestyles, but it's going to be at our own decisions rather than the global AI coming swooping down and kill us all. The AI one is is interesting. It's almost like Hollywood is really hoping that one happens or something like that. Uh, at the same time, maybe it is the most destructive, and you and I can't even uh, imagine when our toasters are shooting uh, toast at us and stuff like that. <laughs> That may be the limit of it all, of it all for us. The toasters shooting out at us. Like all these Wi-Fi enabled devices. My Wi-Fi thermostat makes my house really, really hot in the summer. Ah, it's all <laughs> over, Zach. Uh, well, <laughs> it's a really good article. And it really does make you think about a lot of stuff. And it's always interesting to see um, and learn about a group of people out there that are just thinking and seeing the world totally different from me. Uh, any other final thoughts there, Don? No, I'm glad we did this one. The whole idea is fascinating and it's outside of what I had been thinking about. I hadn't give I knew the words, but I had not given it any thought and now I can think about it too much and perseverate on all my decisions. <laughs> well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week and I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care.